Okay. Uh, when I was teaching my, my class uh, at Bible College, we, one of the things we asked was, what's a good reason to study a passage of Scripture? Right? And uh, there were suggestions like the Holy Spirit leads you. Yes, that's a very good thing. It comes as part of a regular devotional series. That's a good thing. The other reason is because someone asks you. Right? And that's what's happened today. Uh, a while ago, um, this subject was mentioned and someone said, I don't know about this. And I said, well... Next time I preach, I'm going to preach on it. So that was my reason for studying it. Okay, so, yeah, someone asks you to do it. It's a very good reason to do it. And in fact, we're looking at the passage of Scripture we had in our, um, uh, our reading today. So get your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Uh, an intriguing passage uh, and has much, much to teach us. Uh, Mark chapter 12, we'll be looking at verse, starting at verse 38. Before we do, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask now you might open our word to us. Lord, have us to understand these things that you provided for us. Have these words to live in our hearts and in our minds. We thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit and pray he might touch each one here. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, you know the good thing that's, that's happened since we've had that thingy up there? You don't have to worry about whether you've got the tape record, the little recorder running for the sermon or not. You used to have a little recorder here, and you always, well, was that going? Yeah, it's going, okay. But now if you want to uh, get hold of this sometime later, you can just upload it on the machine that goes ping, and it's really good. <laughs> okay, I want to ask you something. How do you measure the value of money? How do you measure the value of money? Because really, money has no value of itself. So how do you value what money is worth? And the answer is, what it can buy you. Now, if you've done your history, you would, re you would realize that in the 1930s, there was a period, in, especially in Germany, with runaway inflation. And I remember seeing pictures of people with wheelbarrow loads of money and it was worthless. Even more recently, if you look at the situation in Zimbabwe, I saw a picture of people scavenging in a rubbish dump and pushing aside bundles of notes looking for something of value because the money had no value. Even today, you know, we, we, uh, there's a, the money they have on the internet, yeah? Cryptocurrency? Yeah. What value does it have? 
Well, its value changes every day just, to, just according to what someone else thinks it's worth. And if everybody decides it's worth nothing, then it's worth nothing. It's, it, it, it's a strange thing. Money is only worth what someone will give you for it. In fact, we mentioned uh, uh, the situation in Zimbabwe. It got so bad that they actually demonetized the economy. In other words, Zimbabwe stopped printing money. And they said the South African rand, the American dollar, the British pound, the Australian dollar, the Indian rupee would all be accepted in the country. And for about 10 years, Zimbabwe had no currency. They didn't have any money of their own because it was worth nothing. Even now, once they've tried to do it again, one Zimbabwean dollar is worth roughly one-third of an Australian cent. Right? This is a country with trillion-dollar notes that won't buy you a bag of grain. Money's only worth what you can get with it. Now, a few years ago, I went to a, uh, a computer shop and I was buying a piece of computer equipment. And I said to the, the guy, the guy said to me, uh, you know, how are you going to pay for this? And I said, with cash. And he looked at me and he went, cash? I said, yes, they're, they're plastic and uh, paper tokens that you can exchange for goods and services. And he said, really? Do you think it'll catch on? Because today, you know, cash is... <laughs> but, you know, cash has been around with us and we're looking at one particular piece of cash today. And when I was in Israel the last time, I got, with a certificate of authenticity, a little piece of ancient cash. I've got two bits actually. One's a half shekel piece, but this one, if I can... If I can open it up, is, in fact, a first century widow's mite. There it is there. Okay? It's not even round. Okay? It's stamped out of copper. Its proper name is a lepton. That was its name. It is believed to be by some numismatists, right? You know, coin people. <laughs> to be the lowest value coin ever minted. Alright? In all the history of the world, they believe this may be the lowest value coin. It's how much was it worth? Well, in, in, in the terms of the day, some people said that it was worth 
164th of a denarius. One person actually calculated and said, no, it's worth 192 parts of a denarius. In other words, it took 192 leptons to make a denarius. Now you think to yourself, that is the silliest money system I've ever heard. Except, divide that by 12 and you get 16. So 12 leptons was 16th of a denarius. 16th of a denarius is a very useful amount because it divides into 4. Four of those makes a quarter of a denarius. Or if you went the other way, if you count 16 leptons, it's a twelfth of a denarius. That can be divided into two, into four, into three. So actually it was a, a good system. It's mentioned a couple of times in Scripture. Do you know, it's, this is not the only place it's mentioned in the Bible. We'll, we'll, we'll just check, a, 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 before we get into this passage, we'll have a look at another place where it's mentioned. And we look, because it says here, and we'll just read this verse here so you get another grip of it. Verse 42, it says, There came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. Okay, she had two of these leptons. Well, look over in Luke chapter 12. Now Luke chapter 12 is not the parallel passage to this, that's further on in Luke, but Luke chapter 12 in verse 6 of Luke chapter 12 it says, are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? Okay, two farthings is four leptons. Five sparrows are sold for two leptons, for, for eight leptons, sorry, four leptons. So what would a lepton buy you? A sparrow. A sparrow. That's how much it was worth. But further on in this passage though, it says in, in uh, Luke 12, 59... Starting at verse 58 of Luke 12. When thou goest with thine adversary to the magistrate, as thou art in the way, give diligence that thou mayest be delivered from him, lest he hail thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and the officer cast thee into prison. I tell thee, thou shalt not depart thence till thou hast paid the very last might. One of those. In other words, people, if you owe a debt, it will chase you forever till you pay the very last might. So that's a might, a lepton. So, now we know what the coin is. What's it doing in this story, in this passage? The other thing I keep telling my, my students, context is everything when you try to understand the scriptures. What is the context of this story? And as I also say to them, if anybody takes a text out of the context, 
what they're left with is a con. And that's what they're doing to you. Any text taken out of context is a con. So, let's ask, what day is it? What day is this happening? This is Tuesday of Passion Week. Oh, right. Now, immediately we start to get an idea here. Remember Passion Week, Palm Sunday. Children dancing and singing in the streets, waving branches and saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Glory to God in the highest. Hosanna. Great day. That was Sunday. Monday, what happened? Jesus came to the temple and cleansed it. He threw out the money changes. Right? And he released the doves and he said, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. And you made it a den of thieves. Not only were they buying and selling the temple, they weren't even doing it honestly. So he cleansed the temple. Now this is Tuesday. This is the day of teaching and disputation in the temple. This is the day when he contends and talks with the scribes and the Pharisees. Okay? Now we've got the time context. This is the day when he asks them questions, and they ask him questions, and it, it, you know, people are amazed at what he says. In fact, in, um, it, uh, but look back earlier into verse 28 of, of uh, Mark chapter 12. And one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning to, together and, in, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, what is the first commandment of all? Here is the scribe who's come and he's listened to Jesus talk and he's gone, this guy really understands the scriptures. This guy really knows what he's talking about. And so he asks him a question, not trying to trap him, but seeking his wisdom. And we find that unlike the, um, the, the scribes and the Pharisees who Jesus rebukes and, and criticizes, this man gets a very gentle piece of instruction. God is always willing for an open inquiry to come and ask him a question. But what had Jesus found in the temple? When he'd come into the temple and after he'd thrown out the, the crooks, what did he find from his the people who were supposed to be leading and teaching Israel? Hypocrisy lies, distortions. And so he says, in verse 38, And he said unto them in his doctrine, Beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing and have salutations in the marketplace and the chief seats in the synagogue and the uppermost rooms at feasts. Now, here's, an, here's the interesting piece when you get to context. Which devour widows' houses. 
and for a pretext make long prayers. These shall receive greater damnation. Because now we see who is it who's the next major person we see? A widow. Ah. Remember, always read the few verses before the text and the few verses after and get the context. And we see here is Jesus saying, You hypocrites, you money hungry hypocrites who make long prayers and cheat widows who have no way to defend themselves, you are going to get a judgment. And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. What was this thing about casting money into the treasury? Well, if you want to get the history of it, which I won't do now, because that's worth another sermon entirely, I believe it was King Josiah. The temple was starting to fall down, getting a bit, you know, raggedy and needed work. And he got a big chest and he drilled a hole in it and put sort of like a funnel thing in there. And he said, anybody who wants to contribute to the temple, just throw it in. And people threw it in, and when the chest was full, they got a group of honest, reliable people around. They opened up the chest, they counted out the money, and they said, Okay, Ben Abraham the Mason, here's the money, go and fix the temple. Ben Isaac the, the, the goldsmith, here's the money, go and fix the things in the temple. And the temple was renovated. Now, what they had done was they said, Hey, you know, this is a good idea. So what they'd done, they kept it there. They kept, not the same chest, no, but the idea that there would be a, a chest with a hole in the top and a bit of a funnel thing, and if you wanted to give to the temple, you just went up and tip, tossed the money in. And that would be used to renovate the temple. It's, it's a great idea. I mean, you know, the temple was huge. Those of us who've had the privilege of getting up on the Temple Mount, the temple was big. And it wasn't just a place of sacrifice. Now the temple had the altar and the, the, the incense and, and all that sort of stuff, but it was also the centre of teaching. If you wanted to learn as well as wanted to worship, you went to the temple. And there the various scribes and priests and rabbis would teach. There were, there's still some of them along the outside wall, but there were <coughs> like verandas. Okay, there were columns and, and then a roof over the top. And the, the trick was on a cold day, you'd go on the one side and the early morning sun would be getting in there, it'd be nice and warm. On a hot day, you'd pick another side and the shade would be there and be nice and cool. Okay? Self-perpetuating self air conditioning. You'd go there and the rabbis would gather their disciples around them and they would teach. When we, when, remember, when Jesus was only a child, that his parents found him in the temple where they were teaching. 
this, the, the, the temple was, as well as the center of worship, it was the University of Jerusalem. It was a, a place of teaching. So it is no surprise to find that on Tuesday, Jesus is teaching in the temple. No surprise at all. In fact, he says later when they come to arrest, arrest him, he said, Hey, don't you remember? I was teaching daily in the temple. You didn't arrest me then. So this is quite a normal thing for a rabbi to be doing. So here he is. And he's sitting over near the treasury. Now, the temple was divided into varying bits. Clearly, this must have been in the area that was called the court of the women. Because there was a woman there. Now, the, the, the innermost part of the temple, only the priests went into. Only the priests. Then there was a, another bit further outside of because that was where the sacrifice were, were happening and everything, that was their area. Then there was another area where men who were ritually clean, that hasn't had any contact with a body, hasn't had contact with anything uh, unclean, they would go. Further out than that was the area known as the, tent, the court of the women. Interesting, when you go further out from that was the court of the Gentiles. So there was even a spot where Gentiles could come up and worship. Now, of course, the reason they couldn't go any further, in any further, was because they weren't circumcised. So they weren't permitted in any further. If you want to hear what happens about that, look in Acts when Timothy, where, where Paul, oh, it's a... He takes someone in to worship, and someone said they're bringing it. He's bringing an uncircumcised person into the temple, and there was a riot. In fact, there was a, a sign they found one of them that said, "This is as far as you can go if you're a Gentile. Any further is at your own risk. We won't come and protect you." So it was pretty strictly enforced. So where was this happening? This is in the temple, in the court of the women. That's where they had this, this chest. And people would come and they'd throw money into it. And rich people came and threw in much. Now, <coughs> a couple of points I want to make. The first point is God sees things. God sees things. God sees what these people threw in. Because have a look. It, God is not distracted by the size of the temple. We find later in the next chapter that as they went out of the temple, one of his disciples said up unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus had done. Uh, don't, don't even think about it. They're not going to last. God is not distracted by buildings. God is not distracted by flashy lights. God is not distracted by loud noises. You know, you can have the mirror ball and the, the rock band up on stage in your church 
It doesn't distract God from what's really going on in people's hearts. Might distract people, but it doesn't distract him. God sees what <coughs> is happening. What does God see? Well, for instance, now look over in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew. Chapter 10, verse 42. Starting verse 40, it says, He that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. He that receiveth a prophet in a prophet's name shall receive a prophet's reward. He that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give a drink to one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. God sees a cup of cold water. If you give it to one of his people who needs it, God sees it. God is not distracted by this world's flashiness. God sees what you do. God sees all things. We we understand that as a you know as a uh, what do you call a, a piece of theology, but we don't really understand it in 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 our lives that God sees. In Hebrews chapter thirteen. In verse 2, it says, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for some have that some have entertained angels unawares. Why? Because God sees it. God sees what we do. And God is not distracted by this world. Unlike so many of us, we are distracted and our minds are drawn away. But God sees. Secondly, God counts. God counts. How close do you think Jesus was to this woman? You think he was right next to her? No, no, he wouldn't have been. He says he sat over against the treasury. That means he was back a little bit. And he saw the people coming and going. But he saw that she cast in two mites. Not one, but two. Not three, two. He knew how many she'd thrown in and he knew what denomination they were. God counts. How did he know? Well, just don't doubt that God counts. In Luke chapter 12, verse 6, remember we said we talked about the uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 6. We said that about the five sparrows are sold for two farthings and not one of them is forgotten by God. Even the very hairs of your head are all numbered Fear not, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. 
we think, you know, okay, God counts the very hairs on your head. No, no. God numbers them from one to whatever. God does not just count, he numbers. He counts the sparrows and numbers them. And he says, don't worry, you are of more value than many sparrows. I'm sorry to have to tell the people in Peter and those other organisations, human beings are worth more than sparrows. Why? Because humans have a soul. Sparrows or mice or whatever don't. And we are valuable to God and he counts. If he counts the sparrows, I can tell you, he counts us. God sees. God counts. In 2 Samuel, verse, uh, chapter 24, that's the thing about counts. 2 Samuel 24. Second okay. Samuel, verse chapter twenty-four. There's a story here of David's sin when he numbers the people. Now David numbered the people when God told him not to, and the, there was a plague came upon the the land because of it. And it says that, verse 15, that the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel for warning unto the time appointed. And the prophet Gad, verse 18, came that day to David and said unto him, Go up and rear an altar to the Lord in the threshing floor of Arnuan, the Jesuite. said, Okay. David, you want this to stop? This is what you do. You go up to the threshing floor of Anu and the Jezebite and put an altar there. Verse 19, so David, according to the saying of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded, and Anu and looked and saw the king and his servants coming towards him. And Anu and went out and bowed himself before the king upon his face in the ground. And Anuan said, Wherefore is my lord the king come unto his servant? And David said unto thee, To buy the threshing floor of thee, to build an altar unto the Lord, that the plague may be stayed from the people. Okay? Anuan said unto David, Let my lord the king take and offer what seemeth good to him. Behold, here be oxen for burnt sacrifice, and threshing instruments, and other instruments of the oxen for wood. So, all these things did Anuan as a king, give unto the king. And the Anuan said to the king, The Lord thy God, accept thee. Now, Anuan's a, Anuan's a good guy. He, he's a, he says, King, you need a sacrifice to stay this plague? Look, there's the oxen. I've been using them to, to thresh the grain. There's the threshing implements. There's all my stuff. Take it. Use it. It's yours. That's a, a good fellow. He's a good fellow. And uh, the king says, the king said unto Anuan, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. 
neither will I offer burnt offering unto the Lord my God that which costs me nothing. No, I'll buy it. I'll buy it at full price. It was a good price he gave for it too. He says, why? Because I will not sacrifice to God something that doesn't cost me anything. Oh. God counts. God counts what we do. Now, you say, okay, we're talking money here. Let me tell you a story about somebody. Anybody heard of J.D. Rockefeller? Yeah? You want to talk money? J.D. Rockefeller. There's some serious money. Okay? You know what church J.D. Rockefeller attended? Did you know that he attended church? He attended the Airy Street Baptist Church. There you go. Now, he could have bought the church, but he didn't. J.D. Rockefeller taught Sunday school at the Airy Street Baptist Church. He could have paid someone to Hello, teach. Hello, all you wonderful workers out in the yard at the Moomba Park working bee. Well. Please stand tall, everyone, and join us for Okay. Uh, no sausage for you. No soup for you. J.D. Rockefeller taught Sunday school in the Airy Street Baptist Church. He could have paid someone to teach. He could have paid a university professor to teach. But no, he taught himself. Why? Because he would not offer to God something which didn't cost him anything, and this cost him his time. He also served, when they needed it, as a janitor. He swept the floor of the Airy Street Baptist Church. Why? Because it cost him. You think, oh, yeah, well, you know, it, it cost him his time. No, it cost him his dignity. He was willing to say, no, I'm just going to be there as a janitor because that's how I'm going to serve God. In a way that costs me. God counts the hours and the days you spend. God counts the time that you spend preparing a Sunday school lesson. God counts the time you spend cleaning this church. God counts the time you spend ministering to somebody who needs help. God sees and God counts. Something else God does. God judges. Because we find in the very next chapter of Mark, chapter 13, as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answering said unto him, See thou these great buildings, there shall not let, be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Oh yeah, God judges. Those hypocrites... 
those people who devoured women's houses, those priests who cast in much to get the reward of men, God judges. God says, enough. So, what did it matter? If the temple was going to be destroyed anyhow, what did it matter what money she put into the treasury? Did it really count? I'm going to tell you a little secret. And, and this is one which you may not hear from a lot of preachers, especially those in the media. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need it. He who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the wealth in every mine doesn't need your money. Why? If this universe was destroyed, he could speak another one into existence. He doesn't need your help. So why does he ask for it? To give you the privilege of sharing in what he's doing. It's not for his sake, it's for yours. Wow. It's a different way of looking at things. There's a story about the construction of one of the cathedrals in Europe. Now you imagine building a cathedral. Remember it's all being done with hand tools. There's blocks of stone everywhere. There's wood and ropes and people hauling. and It's just like an anthill, this, this cathedral as they're building it. And coming through is two people. It's the prince who's paying the money for it and it's the architect who's overseeing the whole thing. Now today we think of an architect as a guy who sits and makes drawings. But in these days, the architect was also the master designer, builder, engineer. He did the lot. And they're going through. And they see a guy who's hammering away at a block. And there you go. The architect says... Uh, what are you doing there? And he says, I'm, I'm squaring this block of stone so it's nice and square. Okay. And he goes along and there's another fellow who's, who's working with wood. He's putting up a frame. He says, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm putting up a frame. Uh, it needs to be here and I've been told to put it so it's lined up with that. Yeah. Okay. And he goes along a bit further and there's a guy digging a ditch. Now, a, a place like a, uh, a cathedral worksite gets muddy, gets dirty. So the, they would put in ditches to drain away all the muck and the mud away from the site so they could keep going. And this guy was in a ditch, probably up to his ankles or more in mud, and he's shoveling this mud out so that the site can be drained. And remember that the stuff in that mud wouldn't have been particularly pleasant. 
so the site can be drained so people can work. And the architect said, what are you doing? And the man said, I'm helping build a cathedral. Yeah. The others, they were just concerned with their little thing that they were doing. But this ditch digger understood that what he was doing was absolutely essential to the construction of a cathedral. Why do we give? Why do we do? Why do we serve? The answer is not for God's benefit, but for ours. Let me tell you what will happen. Look over in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Starting verse 19. Lay not for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust are corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor, nor rust are corrupt and where thieves do not break through to steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Hmm. Now, most people read that round the wrong way. They read it and they say, oh yeah, where your heart is, that's where you put your treasure. No, that's not what it says, does it? It says God can tell where your heart is by where you put your treasure. Now, a few years ago, well, this is a, a, a very simple worldly illustration of it. A few years ago, I indulged in a little bit of share trading. And I did okay. Uh, nothing great fantastic, but I did okay. But every day, I would check the stock market. And I'd look to see where my shares were going every day. Now, for instance, I, I might buy shares in, in uh, oh, didn't, but let's say I bought shares in, in uh, uh, a copper company. Okay? I wouldn't look to see the price of their opposition. I didn't care. I looked to see where I'd put my money. Why? Because that's where my heart was. My heart wasn't in the other companies. Didn't care what happened to them. I cared what happened to the company where I put my money. You ask any investment person, they don't care what happens to the places they haven't invested. They care what happens to the companies they've invested in. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If you have invested and treasured and laid up riches for yourselves on earth, that's where your heart will be. If you've laid up treasures in heaven, that's where your heart will be. This poor widow woman knew that her soul was safe and secure in the hands of Jehovah God and she 
was grateful. So she gave the last two mites she had. She said, God has looked after me today and he will look after me tomorrow and I am content. What about those other people? What about those other people who, who cast in all that money? What's their reward? Well, do you know they do get a reward? Because if you look over in Matthew chapter 6, verse, starting at verse 1, Jesus says, Take heed that ye do not your arms before men to be seen of them, otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine arms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may have the glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Yep, they do. They've already got their reward. The glory of other people. Other people going, oh, look how generous he is. Look how spiritual he is. Look how wonderful he is. That's all the reward they're ever going to get. They might as well enjoy it. God says, no. You do things only God sees. And God, who sees, who counts, and who judges, will reward you. Second, finally, We've said that God sees. We've said that God counts. We've said that God judges. <clears throat> and God understands. Does God really understand? Yes, he does. Because nothing you can offer, nothing you can give, nothing you can sacrifice is more than what God has already done for you. Remember, John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave, gave his only begotten son. He gave. You think you've given? Now, compared to God, you haven't given. We started by saying, what's money worth? Money is only worth what you can get for it. What could you buy for a lepton? You know what you could buy for a lepton? A bunch of grapes. A big bunch of grapes. That's what it'll get you. Okay? That's what it was worth. So what you get measures what you give. What you give to the what you get from the shopkeeper measures what you give to the shopkeeper. It's an exchange. What do you get? What do you give? God gave his son for you, which means that shows how much you are worth to him. How much was God worth to that poor widow woman? Everything. 
everything. How much are you worth to the king of the universe? Everything. All that he has. His beloved son. As we said before, the universe, huh, who cares? He can make another one of them. But this is his son, his only son, his beloved son. There is no comparison. There is no replacement. There is no other. And that's how much you're worth to God. What does he want? What does he want in exchange? We said money, you know, you exchange. You get something, you give something. What does God want from you? He doesn't want your money. He doesn't need it. What he wants is your heart. That's all he wants. That's Why? Because that's everything. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Give God your heart. Everything else will follow. That's why I, I never, I, 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 you know, I can preach on lots of things. You know, I've, I've never preached a sermon on, on drinking. Never preached a sermon on smoking. I might have mentioned this, but I've never preached a sermon on, on taking drugs or honesty or dishonesty. Why? Because if someone's heart is changed by the power of the love of God, everything else will follow. I, I, you know, I, I, I don't, don't care what someone wears to church. I like to see nicely dressed people, but it doesn't matter. Why? Because I know that when God gets hold of their heart, it'll change the way they think, it'll change the way they act, it'll change the way they dress, it'll change the way they talk. When God gets hold of the heart, when you give it to Him, it changes things. A friend of mine was once asked by a charismatic person whether he spoke in tongues. Do you speak in new tongues? And he said, yes, I do. I'm speaking it now. And he, and he said, uh, that's not a new tongue. And the truck driver said, you should have heard me before I was saved. <laughs> <laughs> he was speaking in different languages Why? Because God had got hold of his heart. And things have changed. We have a little widow woman who's going to be remembered for all eternity as someone who gave all that she had to God. Who gave two little coins. Now, think about it. That impressed the Son of God. It impressed him so much that he called over his disciples and said, come and, come and have a look at this. Come and see this. Do you know how many times Jesus was impressed by people on earth? It's not often. There was a Roman centurion who impressed him with his faith. There was a Syrophoenician woman who begged for her daughter. That impressed him. And a widow woman with two little copper coins. 
impressed the Son of God. And she's recorded here. What have you given to God? He's given you, He's given His Son for you. What does He want? He wants your heart. Everything else will follow. Have you given Him your heart today? Yeah. Or are you still holding it back saying, no, this is mine. This is mine. You know, I remember one, one person, rich person who died and uh, one of his associates said, how much did he leave? And his lawyer said, all of it. All of it. Didn't take any with him. You can send it on ahead. But you can't take it with you. God sees. God counts. God judges. And God cares. God cares how much you've sacrificed. God cares because he knows what it's like to sacrifice. He knows what it's like to give up what you really want because it's important. Today, where's your heart? Is it clutched in your own hands? Where you'll keep it and say, I won't give it away, I'll keep it to myself. Or have you given it to the Saviour? Say, here. It's yours. Do with it what you want. Like the, like the man in the Old Testament who said to David, here it is. Take it. Will you give your heart and your life and your work to the Lord Jesus? Or will you say, no, I'll keep it for myself. If you do, that's all you'll ever have. But if you give it away, there is no telling what God will do with a heart and a life that's sacrificed to Him. The lesson of the widow's might is very simple. God counts, God sees, God judges, God cares. He cares for you today. How much do you care for Him? <clears throat> As we close now, our brother comes to close with a hymn today. Do you need to make something right with God? Do you need to sort something out with God? If you do, you come and talk to someone today. If you need to be saved, today's a great day. If you need to get things right with God, today's a great day. This is a wonderful day for getting things right with God. Thank you. Thank you.